This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on iOS developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average iOS developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $1,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the iFreaks link, you'll get a $2,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash iFreaks. All right. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the iFreaks show. Uh, We're recording live at the Build Conference. Oh, man, I wanted to say hello from San Francisco and, like, have everyone say it. Yeah, you got to let us do it. All right. Well, uh, we have Andrew Madsen. Hello from San Francisco. We have James Uber. Hello from San Francisco. And I'm Charles Maxwood. Uh, we have a special guest, and that is Thomas. <laughs> and you're from Hockey App, correct? Yes. Yeah, do you want to get... Hello from San Francisco. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Wait a minute. We've never been from San Francisco before. What's going on? What's going on, Chuck? Why are we, why are we all here? I, I thought I already said that. We're at the Build Conference. Okay. We have Microsoft people that we're talking to, which is cool. Awesome. Uh, do you want to give an introduction, Thomas? Yeah, hi, I'm Thomas. Um, I'm one of the Hockey App founders. Um, I used to be the Hockey App CEO, and now I work for Microsoft as a program manager uh, responsible for Hockey App. Cool. Uh, do you want to give a brief overview of what the Hockey App is? Sure. Hockey App is an online service for app developers. Mobile or desktop doesn't matter. Platform doesn't matter. iOS, Android, Windows, OS X. And it gives, you, it gives you four core features. The first one, and it's really like what we always think is the first step in your development cycle. You create a prototype, you have an idea, and you want to share it with your friends, with your podcast buddies. So you upload the build, you distribute your build to your testers, they can install it and try it out. And then... Well, they have it now. You don't know if are they really testing it, do they like it or not. So you integrate OSDK, you get crash reports, you get feedback, and you get now uses data. Okay. So this solves the problem way back when where you build something, you want people to try it out. You had to go through a whole weird process. You set provisioning. You had to, make, you like, you had to tell these people how to go to iTunes Connect and down, not iTunes Connect, to um, bring up iTunes and download yeah. it, drag it here. It was a nightmare having set up, you know, and test flight solved this way back when hockey apps another thing that does a similar thing and well they they mm-hmm. both we both started at the same time okay so it was like what happened was in 2010 apple showed ios 4 at wwdc and they had this ad hoc provisioning uh, over the air new mm-hmm. and basically they saw it we saw it like one of our founders basically saw the session and had the same idea as the buddies from from test flight okay and so we we created this open source project called hockey just hockey, no app. Mm-hmm. And it was like a PHP server and an SDK. And hockey, that's where hockey comes from. It's ad hoc is key. And so we, we started, um, and yeah, you're right, before before iOS 4, you had to connect to iTunes. And your whole me- media library was on that PC or Mac. Mm-hmm. So if you're at work, you couldn't actually install an app that some agency contractor or whatever mm-hmm. sent you because your Mac was at home and you couldn't sync with that Mac at work because it would, would basically clean up your whole music library. So that was the, 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 the old ages, basically. Yeah, it was, it was a nightmare, <laughs> just trying to get an app. Just try this out. And yeah. Yes, services like Hotgap really helped out. You know, you could crank it out, send it to people, and quickly. You know, yeah. you're, not, you're not wasting a lot of time setting everything up. 
the thing I've known Hockey App for, I think, since the beginning, I, I knew you did beta distribution, but, but you also do crash reporting. Yeah. And I've had the impression that Hockey App is really good at crash reporting. I'm curious to know how you got started with that, and, and, and particularly what some of the challenges around getting crash reports from iOS. Yeah, so I think we actually started with crash reporting before we did Hockey. Um, so one of our founders, Andreas, he was working at Culture Code in Stuttgart, which is the company that does things, right. things for iPhone and Mac. And they just wanted to figure out um, what app is crashing and why it is crashing. And there was an open source project called Peer Crash Reporter. And so they took that Peer Crash Reporter and put it into the apps to collect crash reports. But then the challenge is you get something that's not actually readable. You just get memory addresses. So you have to symbolicate those crash reports. And so... Andrea started to create also an open source project. We called it Quincy, and um, like the the TV show, you know, the, what is it? The the guy who's like looking at dead bodies, figuring out uh, what the crime was. Like forensics, right? Yeah. And so <laughs> when we started working on Hockey App, we thought, you know, beta distribution and crash reporting they both work well together because you have your betas. They obviously crash because they're still developing the app. And then we um, added symbolization as a core feature which basically takes your memory addresses, combines them with your symbol files, and gives you method names, line numbers, file names, and so on. So you can actually read the stack trace. And then this also allows the backend to combine those together and actually show you which crashes are similar so you don't get a million crashes in a, in a list, but you get just maybe 10 or 15 crash groups. So in the, the old days, before hockey and... and some other services had this, although I, I sort of remember it. Hockey was the first one I really knew about. You might get a crash report from a user if you asked them to send it to you. Yeah. And then you'd symbolicate it manually, but you didn't have any of this aggregation and symbolication. I mean, Xcode's supposed to do it. It sometimes worked, it sometimes didn't. Well, it was really a tedious manual process. You would basically tell the user how to get the file, which also included iTunes. So you had to sync your device and then find the crash report in the library, whatever, mobile devices folder take that file, send it via email, right? And then on your Mac, you had to find the right symbol files because you had no archive of symbols, right? You just had to find that file and then run a Perl script that Apple gave you in some subfolder of Xcode to symbolicate. So that was like the, the, golden, the, the old ages. And then we took basically that, that process and said, you know, whenever you do a build, you upload that symbol file to Hockey App so you have an archive of all your symbol files. And then we match that against the crash report coming in. And so you get automatically symbolicated crash reports. Okay, new question. Symbolication. Yeah. What is it? So it's, it's really, it's mapping a memory address against a mapping file, right? Okay. It's, it's the mapping file on, on iOS and Mac is what's called a dwarf file. And it includes, it's a binary description of the, on which memory address is which um, line number in your code, in which oh, file, okay. and which method. And there's similar things on Android and on Windows. There's something called PDB, which is like essentially the debug information of your build. So your build strips out all the information about how the method is called and which line number it has, and that symbol file brings it back. And so you combine those two files into one report, and, and then you can then you figure can out where figure things out went wrong. Happened. Yeah. If you yeah. look at if you look at an unsymbolicated crash report, you basically see a bunch of hex hex memory addresses, and it's right. not something you can really decipher. Yeah. Unless you're an expert developer. Well, but even then it's like kind of hard because your binary is not always at the same start address. So you then have to do math in addition to just reading the hex symbols. And then obviously the stack trace is not only your code, it's also the runtime, the frameworks and so on. 
and you have no even like maybe you know the experts at Apple can do that, but a normal developer cannot read the symbols from Apple by memory address. Well, yeah, I read hex you... over breakfast, but I can't do math at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, we've talked a little about sort of the old days and why hockey started. What have you done since then? So you've you've you started out doing beta distribution and crash reporting on iOS. I know now you support other platforms. Well, we, we actually started out on iOS, Mac, and Android from okay. day one. So we had those three from day one. We added Windows, uh, Windows Phone back then in 2012. So it wasn't it wasn't had not, nothing to do with the acquisition. And then over the years, you know, we supported Swift, we supported whatever iOS six, seven, and eight. Uh, we started supporting the Android NDK. So we added all those platforms, and then we built out also features on on Hockey App, like Feedback, for example, um, the user base role. And then we got acquired by Microsoft. Another new question. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think there's an assumption here that everybody knows what Hockey App actually is. Yeah. And I mean, you're talking about like beta distribution, yeah. but is that through an app that you already have on your phone that's Hockey App, or is it another system? you know, on the web that allows distribution or? Yeah, it's a, it's a combination of both. Actually, so you as the developer, so there's two personas on Hockey App. One is the developer and one is the tester. And right. tester can really mean your mom, your friend, your, right. your buddy and the team. But how does mom get the app? So you as a developer start the process by uploading your build. Okay. And then as the next step, you say, you know, I want to share that build with somebody. Mm-hmm. And you have two options. One is just take the link and send that link out to whoever you want to share it with. And that works really well for everything except iOS. Okay. Because on every like on Android and Mac, you can just share, or even on Windows, you uh-huh. can just share the build, right? There's right. no provisioning, no UDIDs or anything. Uh-huh. Or you can invite somebody, and then the system sends that buddy an email, and then the email asks him to accept the invite and also install Hockey App on the phone. And okay. on iOS, that means you inst- you, what you really do is install a web clip, which is essentially a home screen icon, and you do that through a configuration process and settings app, mm-hmm. which has the advantage that the UDID is sent back to Hockey App. So you as a developer basically have a back channel that gives you all the UDIDs, and then you add those UDIDs into the Apple provisioning portal to actually oh, okay. create the ad hoc provisioning profile. Okay, and then they can... And then they get another notification saying, hey, you know, Chuck provisioned a build for you, and then they can install the build. So the tester does not have to know what their UID is. And and really, before Hockey App and TestFight, it was really like you had to explain to somebody, you know, to go to iTunes, find that screen, and it wasn't actually obvious to that you can select that thing and copy it, you had to know that you can press command C but and no, you don't have to copy type, the thing that you couldn't, couldn't actually select. You don't so, have to type it in. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was a pain. So. Well, so the other users would send you a screenshot and then you as a developer would have to <laughs> a copy read it, that yes. thing from the screenshot. And then on Android, it's, it's a native app, so you install a native app. You can also install everything from the browser, so you don't need the native app, but it gives you some convenience features like background downloads, notifications. Gotcha. I'm curious to know if you still use, this is sort of an aside, but do you still use PL Crash Reporter? Yes. Okay. I, I think and we still contribute there. And, you know, Microsoft talks a little bit about open source. We just today we announced that Xamarin will be open source yeah. going forward. So, it's, yeah. fun, it's fun to see. And I, I just, I, I, think, I think you guys have contributed a lot to PL Crash Reporter, but it's, yeah. it's people who work on that are so smart. Yeah. I've learned a lot from them. So Apple acquired TestFlight, and you can do this, some of the same stuff you're talking about, particularly with the beta distribution, is now part of iTunes Connect for mm-hmm. TestFlight. It's, it's, of course, iOS only. Be- beyond that, what does, hockey, what does hockey offer? That's Why should I use hockey instead of TestFlight? 
Yeah, and you could really also ask the same question about Google Play, which has like an alpha beta rollout feature, or the, the Windows Store, which has like a flighting feature, they call it flighting. It's all the same thing, and they all have the same fundamental problem, is if you want to iterate quickly, like do daily builds or builds on every commit, and push that through an API back to the tester, you really can't go through the public stores. Like the Apple Store, for example, has no uh, API in the first place. There's some private API that tools like Fastlane use, so you can kind of sidestep it. And then the specifically with TestPad, the other problem is if you want to do external testing, um, with more that means more than 25 people, you have to do reviews with Apple. So that's a seven-day review, like when you submit to the real store, and that's just not acceptable for you know the agile world where you have to really push it. So in a, think about like even at Microsoft. We have many teams that are developing iOS and Android apps, and they're pushing builds in an insane speed. Like that's, we're talking here of 10,000 builds a week. And so, do we really push those 10,000 builds a week to iTunes, or do we need a system like Hockey App and your build server that work together and allow you to continuously deliver apps to your audience? And that's really in Microsoft, every Microsoft employee can test those apps. Tell us a little bit about how you can set up a build server. So say I have a continuous integration or continuous deployment set up. Yeah. What does it take to make sending builds to Hockey App happen? Yeah. For iOS, you still need a Mac, so there's no way around having a Mac. Sure. So you can um, use something like Mac and Cloud or Mac Stadium to host your agent. So your, your build server needs an agent. And one product that Microsoft offers is called Visual Studio Team Services which is really in, has nothing to do with Visual Studio, the box product. It's really an online service that lets you track your work items. It offers you Git repositories and then build. So you configure build steps that basically push your code to the remote agent and then compile it. And then we have a build step for Hockey App that uploads the IPA file to Hockey App. Okay. So personally, I use, we use Jenkins yeah. at work. And it's, it's just a, um, you just have an API endpoint that lets you... So we have an API it. endpoint. It's, it's a public API. We have, we have an API endpoint for upload builds, and we have also API endpoints for reading data. But for Jenkins, we really need that API endpoint. But in fact, for Jenkins, we have a plugin. Oh. So just install the Hockey plugin in Jenkins. Add the build step to your whatever, how many build steps you have, and then say, this is my API token. You copy that over from Hockey App. And this is my binary in my Jenkins environment. And then you save and you run your Jenkins job. Cool. And that also, again, gives you the advantage. You're already uploading your builds, right? You just add the configuration file for the DSIM, the symbol file. And so you get, that, you get all the symbol files. So even if you haven't thought about that, you know, Chuck could crash your build, you have Chuck's the symbol. Chuck's always doing that stuff. Chuck is always doing that stuff, yeah. So, <laughs> But it's... It's really there, right? You, the, the power of continuous integration is that you don't have to think about it and you don't forget it. Yeah. And it, it, it's not limited to Jenkins or VSTS. The API works with everything that basically can, can do an HTTP request. So we have PowerShell users, we have Travis CI users. Well, you can write a, a shell script or something yeah. at the very least, right? Cool. I'm more familiar with TestFlight. That's what mm -hmm. I had used before it was acquired by Apple. And one of the things that I liked about Test Flight was it was very low friction. Mm -hmm. I'm a consultant, so I deal with clients and you know, do some work, and I'll throw out a version for them to test within a day or two. Mm -hmm. Is this what you're thinking? It's something I can do quickly, invite them. Mm -hmm. And with the acquisition by Apple, that became too hard to do. You have to mm -hmm. go through iTunes Connect, and get people signed up with mm -hmm. there, and it got too high friction versus mm -hmm. what was available on Test Flight. Uh, does Hockey App allow you to do that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, the process between TestFlight and Hockey App was almost the same, I would say. There were some differences. 
for different, let's say, target audience or different tastes. But the process is more or less the same as the old test flight. Okay. You upload a build, you invite your testers, they get an email, they, they tap the button on the phone, they install the build. Okay, just a low friction way of getting your app out to your users if you're just starting on a project. Test, the new test flight has one big advantage, right? You no longer have to deal with UDIDs. So you don't have to collect UDIDs and you can target 2,000 testers. So it really becomes a, they both now complement each other. You have your early stage testing, your internal team, your whatever 100 UDIDs uh, that you have with ad hoc provisioning or in a company you use in-house provisioning to distribute to your internal team and then you decide you're close enough to going into production so you do that public beta with 2,000 testers, maybe some bloggers, podcasters, and then you submit to the store. And it also allows you to check whether Apple allows your build in the App Store, right? Because you go through the seven-day review, so you kind of know whether Apple likes it or not. And you get the mini so review, not, and you do like the static analysis. And yeah. It, yeah, I don't, it, think the, I don't think the test flight external review is, is the full App Store review. In my experience, it's not. But you at least know that it's not completely out there, right? Yeah. They're not going to just reject it the second they see it, so... I have to ask, too, I mean, it, it's an iOS show. We mostly talk about Objective-C and Swift, but I'm assuming that this works well for React Native or yeah. NativeScript or any, you know, Cordova, yeah. and that it just, it's the same process, essentially, because it's just, a, it's yeah. a binary. It just works a little bit differently as well. And Unity and Xamarin. So it, whatever creates an APA can be used with Hockey App. We have plugins for all of them. Right. We actually um, have another product at Microsoft called CodePush, but specifically for Cordova and, Code, uh, and React Native developers to update the app without actually submitting a new build. You basically replace the JavaScript yeah, the under G. the hood. And so we, we announced today that we have integrated CodePush into Hockey apps. So you can use your same app ID and your same API token that you use for Hockey app for your CodePush setup. You can directly provision the CodePush app from the Hockey app UI. And then you really all you have to do is in your CLI or in your Jenkins build server call the CodePush CLI and up push your Cordova stuff in addition to what you already pushed to Hockey App. Right, and that works because Apple has designated JavaScript files, among other things, to be basically static assets that can be replaced. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I would say as long as you don't, like, completely yeah, don't change do, the... Yeah, don't do bad stuff. Well, don't do bad stuff and don't do stuff where you change the yeah. the theme of your app. Like your, your well, It used to be a gardening app, now yeah. it's rock and roll. Yeah, yeah. like this. It seems so like the thing that's like one bad egg away from. It, it really yeah, does feel that way to me. Like, yeah. Don't abuse it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think we're going to talk to somebody from the Cordova Tools team tomorrow, and I'm, I, w I definitely want to talk to them about this whole code push thing. And you know, you cannot overdo it anyway because you have to think about that any new user still installs the original app from the App Store, right? So that they would always get an update first. So it's really like a. You found a serious bug. You don't, That's true. You That's the downside. The, yeah. Yeah. You cannot wait seven days for the review, so you push the hotfix, and then you, in the same time, also pre-submit to Apple yeah. to get that out for every new user because they have a bad experience otherwise, mm -hmm. telling them, you know, oh, here's your new app. And here's the first update for you, right? That's kind of... Yeah, that's a bad user experience. Yeah, you're looking forward to using my new app, but wait, you have to wait five minutes for it to update. Yep. What's the pricing like for Hockey App? So we have now a free tier. So two, two apps are completely free. All features included, no restrictions whatsoever. And then the next pricing stage is $10 for five apps. So effectively $2 per app. And then it goes up all the way to... $30 for 15 apps and so on and then the price basically if you have like 500 apps it's $500 so the price then goes down to $1 per app $2 per month so, per month yeah. yeah 
it seems to me, I mean, how many people write one app versus five apps versus ten apps? Uh, I know some developers that are fairly prolific, but I know other app developers that they, they wrote the one app they want to write, so you'd never make any money on them. Well, that might be, but then you have the one app, and then you think about the V2, so you're already getting into the second app, unless you kind of put the V2 on top of your first app. Oh, but okay. It's lots of app developers in the App Store do that these days, that the V2 is actually a separate project, right, with a separate bundle identifier and mm -hmm. separately charged because there's no update pricing. So... Yeah, that always if makes me happy when I have to pay for the new version of the app I already paid for. Well, I think another smart thing about that kind of pricing is if I write an app on my own, just, you know, for fun in my, my spare time, and I I can release it, I can use Hockey App, and it's free because I don't think I'm going to make any money, and I love Hockey App, then next time I'm at work and, you know, mm -hmm. we have 10 apps on the store and we're looking for a solution, I'm going to think the Hockey App because it worked so well for my own project. So yeah, if, if you're going to make money yeah. off indie developers, you've got a really hard road ahead of you. Right. That's really some of the cheapest yeah. people on the planet. <laughs> just because, well, like... Yeah. But... People want to just try it, too. And yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Like if you want to make money, you sell to bigger companies who have a lot of apps. Now, one thing I do, or some of my clients do, the bigger companies, they got maybe four or five apps, but they've got CI running for each different branches, so mm -hmm. they've got a ton of apps. Mm -hmm. Is that covered... Is it by bundle ID or if you have a... No, that's a separate brand? app. So that's basically okay. the trick behind the pricing model, right? If you're really doing 50 versions of the same app, that counts as 50 apps, not as one app. So, so But the indie developer wouldn't do that. So it's kind of like fair share, right? It's like if, it's like you buy an AT&T contract, right? It's kind of like flat pricing unless you go to certain limits and then they either throttle you or ask you to upgrade to a bigger plan. So, so if you set up a CI system, yeah. you've got five apps, you've got 50 features in development with branches that are going to CI, posting it, people are downloading and testing, okay, then that's yeah. how you can make some right. money. So if they merge them all back to master and they all go out under Zuber App 1, then it's one app, and then when you get around to Zuber App 2 or Zuber App with extra features, then it's... If you, if you feel the need that you really need five or ten branches in, mm -hmm. at the same time, then you, then you pay, have to for, pay for each one. Uh, how long ago did Microsoft acquire... Uh, December of 2014, so that's like 15 months year. now. Yeah. Uh, so what what, oh, what was ahead. that process like? It was very interesting. Just, there were two independent companies doing similar things, Test mm -hmm. Flight and Hockey App, and within some strange turn of events, you know, Test Flight now owned by Apple, Hockey App now by Microsoft. What was that like from your perspective? That's, that's interesting to me. Um, so that Test Flight got acquired was actually awesome because within a month, Apple shut down Android. So all the Android developers on test flight had to find a new home. Okay. And so some went to the competition, some went to us, so we get saw a big uptick. Same thing happened when Apple shut down the old test flight. That was actually after our acquisition, early 2015. Apple shut down the old test flight, and everybody had to, had to move to the new test flight. We saw another uptick. Um, because, you know, they were still users using the old test flight because they loved the convenience about this. And so that was kind of a positive effect. So, you, you know, you always hear about getting share locked or anything, but the reality is that no longer happening because what Apple provides is really just a basic solution. And then you can differentiate yourself from that solution and get customers. So how does um, Microsoft go about acquiring a company? Do they send you email? Ken has hockey app? Or? <laughs> well, I don't know about other companies. Like, you, you do a demo. So you do, like, an innocent demo. It's basically, you know, can we see the product? And we thought, you know, it's another team at Microsoft that wants to use us. 
we had Microsoft was a customer since 2011. Skype team was using Hockey App since really the early days. So we didn't think really about what we are doing. So you do a demo, and then you know somebody from that demo pings you on Skype or chat and asks, hey, would you be interested in you know discussing a deeper relationship? And that is really an open discussion about you know becoming a partner, contractor, or maybe you know getting acquired. And then eventually the legal team and the this developers get involved, and so you negotiate an LOI, you sign an LOI, and then you have the due diligence. LOI, oh, sorry, uh, acronym talk, uh, letter of interest. So especially the, the mm -hmm. offer letter, if you will. Right. You sign that, then you do a due diligence process, and you sign the deal. It's like, I would say that's probably pretty common in the industry how that works. I warned you that I asked the dumb questions. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. That's, um, the bigger the company, the more acronyms exist. So. Yeah. For people who are using Hockey App, what has changed? You know, why is it good that Microsoft bought Hockey for, for those of us that are potential customers? So we, we actually had a lunch with customers today, and one of the customers said, well, it's much easier now, he's a contractor, to recommend Hockey App to his customers because it's Microsoft Hockey App. And so Microsoft gives them confidence that the product is actually, you know, there in a couple of years and that it works. And so that's much easier in a, in a way. At the same time, if you look into the indie scene, it became a little bit harder because if you're an independent startup and you were a startup without any funding or anything, you were just four guys, you know, founding a company, uh, then you have the sympathy of the indie developers and so they might support you just because you're on the same boat as they are. Yeah. So that became harder. So it's harder to speak to the indie developers. It's easier to speak to the enterprise developers. I think James mentioned, we were talking yesterday and he mentioned he had a client that was sort of like, oh, I don't want to use hockey because they're Microsoft. And I think there's a feeling like Parse, for example, was a situation where this was a service that a lot of people use, and then Facebook bought Parse, and then two years later they shut Parse down. And mm -hmm. So it's a little silly because if Facebook had not bought Parse, maybe they would have shut down even earlier because they wouldn't have had the money to keep yeah. going or whatever. I mean, you never know. Well, the but other thing about that, though, is that when they shut down Parse, they open-sourced Parse. They did. Yeah. And so you at least had that much going for it where, you know, okay, well, I can spin up my own Parse. It's not as ideal because I don't want to have to know how to do that, but... Well, then I would argue, you know, Customers that were using cars were using cars because they didn't have to handle their own servers and have right. to run and maintain them. I mean, that's always the danger, right? Nobody knows what is in five years. We are paid products, so we have customer commitments. We have offer yearly plans. So we have always that confidence that in a year we will for sure be there because we have that commitment. Mm -hmm. And we, we are just in a process where we consolidate other services into Hockey App. So we, a couple of weeks ago, we announced that Application Insights, another Microsoft product, all the mobile features there go away and they move over to Hockey App. Today we announced that Xamarin Insights team will join Hockey App team and work together on, on Hockey App. So we kind of set everything on Hockey App. And so that, that gives customers a little bit of confidence. But sure, there's this uncertainty and you never know, you know, mm -hmm. what, what, what will happen. Yeah, it's true. True of any product, right? You can't guarantee any product. I mean, we are, we are investing in it and we are launching new features almost every week. So it so, sounds like you, you feel like joining Microsoft has given you more resources and the ability to, you know, you've got more people coming into the team. And, yeah, uh, the, the team so, is now almost um, three times the size as yeah. it was before. And it will grow more even through the Xamarin acquisition. You sure have more resources and you have more confidence. You don't have to be scared, you know, what happens if, if Apple really Sherlock's me 
and we are going out of business because we can no longer afford to pay for our servers or employees. At the same time, though, big company also means things are slower. They are less agile. You have a longer decision process. That's just the way big companies work, right? So it's a little bit good and bad, right? I would say overall, um, we did a good job. Um, we are here 15 months after the acquisition. The product is almost the same as it was in terms of pricing, in terms of offering. So we didn't take away the open source SDKs. We didn't, you know, neglect iOS and Android or macOS for that matter. And we are investing in it and we're adding new features. That actually sort of leads me into something else I wanted to ask you about, which is one thing that's attracted me about about Hockey App. I'm a, I'm a Mac developer first and foremost, and then I also do iOS, and I, you've always had really good support for the Mac, which is cool. But you support these other platforms too, Android and Windows and, uh, and Xamarin and Unity and, and whatever. What's sort of the mix of your customers? Are they mostly, I think your strong roots are probably kind of iOS and do you still have mostly iOS developers? There's a pretty even split between iOS and Android, Windows, or what's... Yeah, I would say it's... So you're right, the root is in iOS. I mean, we are all we were all iOS guys by heart. I was actually doing Android and iOS consulting um, when we started Hockey App, so we were doing some Android. And the split is about... Not about the market share, because an Android would lead. It's more like the profit share. So iOS has the biggest, bigger, right. sh- bigger share. Android is like close second. And then those other platforms are like Windows and Mac. Because Windows, for example, right, I mean, you can put a zip file on Dropbox everywhere. So distribution is kind of easy. You don't need the mobile interface or the, the plist to install the build or provisioning. Yeah. Is that true of Windows Mobile or Windows Phone apps? I mean, it's not true of Windows Mobile. But then, uh, you know, it's no secret that Windows Mobile has no market share. Right. So there's, there are certainly customers that love to have all the three platforms, like mobile platforms, iOS, Android, and Windows, uh, on Hockey Air because they have big enterprise customers, specifically agencies, that require them to deliver a solution for all three. So they don't have to look for a separate solution for, for the next one. So. Well, and I can't speak for the other platforms, but crash reporting for, for Mac apps is probably even worse than crash reporting for iOS apps in some ways because, yeah, uh, I mean, Apple, like symbolication for Mac crashes, Apple doesn't, Xcode doesn't know how to symbolicate Mac crashes at all. Apple has no iTunes Connect crash reporting. People think they're submitting their crash when they hit send to Apple, to to the developer, but really it goes into a garbage bin at Apple somewhere, you know, so (laughs) so that's that's something that you you do still have an advantage for desktop software. Well, even on iOS we have that advantage because what you're getting from iTunes Connect is not all the crash reports, you get just a subset and that is really driven by legal concerns on Apple's side. Because if you would get every single crash report, right, then you would kind of be able to identify a user if that crash report is very specific to the device type or the country or whatever. So they, have, they filter very high and you only get really a subset of crash reports. Yeah. And if it's a one-off, you would never see it because it never appears in iTunes Connect. And then Mac, I mean, I don't know why Apple is doing this, right? I mean, it's like the same sad story of the Mac App Store. Yeah. Why there's no test flight for Mac. I don't know. It's, We're all used yeah. to it now. Yeah. Us Mac users. So with the crash reporting, is that just an SDK or a framework that you pull into your application? And... Yeah. It's basically to drag and drop a framework or CocoaPod, right. whatever, mm-hmm. to your to your application. You initialize the SDK with, with that app ID that right. you get from our portal, mm-hmm. and you compile and run. And that's, that's really it. Right before you die horribly, send the information over. No, oh, so, so on the app itself, so when the app crashes, uh-huh. um, the only thing the crash reporter does, and that's true for everybody in the industry, not, not only for our hockey app, 
the SDK only stores the crash report on the device. There oh, really? No, there's no sending because what happens if the crash is happening, a signal handler is called, and that's really like a low-level Unix uh -huh. concept. Right. And that signal handler has to be async safe. So it, mm. ha it means it can be called multiple times. And you only have like 50 methods from the C library available that are truly async safe. And so really what you only, the only thing you can safely do is to store the thing on the, on the disk. Okay. And so then next time you launch the app, you get a, di a dialogue asking you whether you want to submit the crash report or not. Gotcha. And then you submit the crash report. You can hide the dialogue and automatically send from the developer's perspective if you want that. And it probably depends on your target audience. If you have like a game that is for kids, you probably want to ask and make sure right. they are not violating any copper laws or something like this, um, Child Protection Act. Right. If it's not relevant or you're not collecting any personal data, you can order something back. And this is one of, I mentioned I really like the, I find PL Crash Report a really fascinating project. And part of that is because you have to, writing code that runs in a signal handler is so difficult to yeah. get right and so mm -hmm. easy to do something really wrong. So the way that they've been able, you guys have been able to make that work so well is really impressive to me. It's not an easy problem to solve. Yeah. And it's it's not specific to iOS. So on Mac, we also run Peer Crash Reporter. And then on Android, so on Android, there's two platforms, really, the SDK and the NDK. And NDK stands for Native Development Kit. Okay. And you're really writing C and C++ apps there. So you need something similar to Peer Crash Reporter. And there's a Google open source project called Crackpad that does a similar thing that Peer Crash Reporter does. So, cool. This is really interesting. <laughs> it's, it's like another end of iOS development that I just never... I think I would have gotten into it more if I'd written more apps, but... Yeah, and isn't it, isn't it kind of like if you think about it, like if you had asked me two years ago, could Microsoft be the company that offers you open source crash reporting on iOS, right? You would have thought, no way, that's yeah. not happening. So that's yeah, kind of like, it's kind of like a challenge, but also cool that Microsoft is now in that space and, you know, with, same with the bash on Windows and uh, other stuff that, that Microsoft is presenting here at Build. It's funny because I've talked to so many people at this conference that have said basically the same thing. If you would ask me two years ago or five years ago or whatever, if I would ever be doing blah, 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 Microsoft, I would have told you there's no way. Yeah. If you had asked me five years ago if I would be at Microsoft Build recording iOS podcasts, I would have said, I mean, like yeah. the bizarro world maybe. Yeah. So Whatever you're smoking, it must be really good. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been fun to be here, though, and yeah. sort of see this new, this Jane, new did Microsoft. You have, did you have a question? Yeah, I'm just like wondering what's next for Hockey App. So you have yeah. this big stuff behind you. You're a, you're a product manager. What, what's next? We are currently heavily investing into usage data, so collection of custom events, how many users and sessions your app have, kind of like Google Analytics or Flurry Analytics, but as part of the Hockey App offering with the same premise, that it's your data. We're not using the data for any advertisement purposes, for any you know, um, mining or anything. It's really like giving the developer the tool set to see what's happening in their apps. Okay. So we're adding those. We just launched custom events today, so you do a simple track event call in your app, and then you see on the Hotcap UI how many users, unique users, have seen that event in the last seven days, in the last 24 hours, and so on. Okay. Now, with that, I mean, there's all kinds of ways that you can segment the data and look at the data and decide what matters and what doesn't. So I'm curious, do you expect the developers to put together all the metadata on that or do you have other analysis tools that are going to be built into that? So for example, if I decided I wanted 
cohorts or versions of the app or builds of the app or you know any of those that I can say okay well I'm only interested in this segment right now or whatever I would say there's tons of ideas in the team what we can do in the future uh -huh. right now we are really focused on delivering the basic story right. in a way that's scalable sustainable and then still open source and available to everyone once we have that we probably go down that route that you have outlined okay. but right now there's no announced plans on that and in the same fashion you know you can talk about auto instrumentation that the SDK does some logic itself like you know tracking a page view which is really like a view controller transition on iOS right. or tracking a network event or measuring how long the, the call to the Twitter API took for that dependency mm -hmm. tracking there's all kinds of directions you can go and they can improve such a basic system that collects telemetry from an app right so one other thing that I just want to ask and we've kind of talked our way around some of this but Let's say that somebody's listening and they go, well, that sounds like what I need. Uh -huh. I really want to get started with Hockey App. I want to go use this in the apps that I've got out there already. Or I'm going to write a new app and I'm going to yes. just get going with Hockey App from the, the get-go. Yeah. I mean, what, what, what do they do? they just go to hockeyapp.com and sign up? Or yeah. is there more to it than that? So it's really that. You go to hockeyapp.com or hockeyapp.net. doesn't really matter. You mm -hmm. click the sign up for free button. You put in your email and your password. That's all we need. You can also use your Twitter account, your Google account, your Microsoft account to sign up. Very simple. Mm -hmm. um, we don't collect any data from you. We don't need a credit card or anything like that. You confirm your email address. That's the only thing we ask you, that you're really you and not somebody else. And then you, if you already have a build, then it's really as simple as taking that build and drag and drop it to the browser window. Mm -hmm. It uploads. We don't ask you to integrate the SDK or do any any other requirements and you, you send the bill to your testers and then of course you want to collect data so we, we show you how to integrate the SDK and that's really like downloading the framework putting it into your project initializing the SDK like 10-15 minutes you're done okay after a month that you have created your first app so you, we actually not, don't start the trial when you sign up we start the trial when you create your first app after a month we tell you now if you have more than two apps, you need to sign up for a pay plan. If it's less than two apps, less or equal than two apps, then you just stay on the free plan. And then you, if you use Jenkins, you install the Hockey App plugin. You know, on VSTS, you get actually private repositories for free, work item tracking for free, five users are completely free. So you get everything from Microsoft that you really need for a development cycle. You don't get the Mac, so for Mac, you either need to have your own Mac under your desk, and that Mac under your desk can connect to the, to the cloud to the build stuff. Or you buy something from Mac and Cloud, which is like, I think, $30 a month. Or so. The crowd's psyched. Yeah, that, yeah they've that been that like, they like that one. <laughs> no, we've got this other presentation right next to us. We get random clapping every once in a while. Yay. Or they're really excited about hockey. Yeah. yeah. I should ask one thing before, because I know some of our listeners are, list, are thinking about this. No. Andrew talked about my client last year who's like, nope, Microsoft, I don't know what they're going to do with the data. Like, do you do anything with the data? You upload? Okay. Hockey app is as part of the group in Microsoft that's called CNE, which means Cloud and Enterprise, and that also owns Azure. And Azure and Hockey app and other services in that, in that space, they all have the same premise. It's the customer's data with full trust in us. So we don't use the data for anything except for improving the service. Like, if you see that you have an issue with your crash reports, for example, you know, Swift, whatever, 3 comes out, 
and you get weird errors like our service is throwing exceptions we will of course improve our service and remove those exceptions but we're not looking into your data we're not installing your builds we're not seeing your builds unless you ask us to look into things and see you know mm -hmm. common problem is somebody says hey I've added that UDID to my provisioning profile and still don't work and then we you know might look into the account and check the provisioning profile and figure out oh the UDID is still missing because while he had added the UDID hasn't really downloaded the new profile and imported it to Xcode or Xcode is running wild and not using that profile you know things well, happen we're kind of like the mm -hmm. the secondary Apple support in, in some regards right. did you so, do the Xcode dance when you updated the provisioning profile uh, what do you mean the Xcode dance just like you know, restarting it or whatever you have to do yeah, or you yeah. I mean it's all you delete all the profiles and re-import them and stuff like that and it's just one of the things you have to walk people through the thing to understand, so Microsoft is not using your data. It's your data. You have full control over the data. If you delete the data, the data is gone. We actually have buttons where you can delete your data and your full account. So there's really no, there's no hidden agenda what we do with the data other, other than providing the service. All right, I'm gonna so what you're saying is, is you might look at some of the data to figure out why something broke or crashed, or if you're seeing widespread problems across multiple accounts, what do these accounts have in common? But other than that, you're not... Yeah, but it's, it's, not, it's not really like, we're not looking, you know, if right. Twitter, Facebook, and Yahoo have the same problem. It's more like, you know, we have our own internal crash reporting on our right. service. Yeah. So if we see an exception, we try to figure out what the exception is. Yeah, cost, that's what I mean. And then, yeah. then we might see some of your data as part of that exception right. tracking. But it's not, it's not like, you know, somebody has a list or a dashboard where they can see, yeah. you know... Uh, All of Andrew's are, users. We yeah. should go email those people. And we also well, don't yeah. do the, you know, or we also don't worse. do the, the dance where we publish something like, you know, iOS nine is more stable than iOS eight, mm -hmm. by looking at the crash data that we get from developers. We don't do that, and right. we are not interested in that kind of intelligence. Okay. We're not in that business. We are in the business of. We are part of Microsoft um, CNE, in what's called the developer division, where Visual Studio is the main product, and so we're mm -hmm. interested in providing a service and a product to developers. That's it. Cool. Anything else we should talk about before we wrap it up? I think we've covered a lot. Yeah, it's good yeah. stuff. We should just start skating to where the puck is going to be. <laughs> yeah. I read that right off of uh, Thomas's shirt. It's kind of fun doing this in person. Okay, there, there are two things that I've been doing at the end of these interviews that I want to make sure that we do here. The first one is, is to thank Richard and Carl from uh, .NET Rocks. Uh, we kind of teamed up with them to make these happen. And we're actually recording on their equipment, and it's been awesome. And, and they really did make the arrangements so that we could come out and do this. And they've been really good to good to us and you know, fun to be around. And yeah. They've made it a, a fun time for us. Yeah. They fed us well. Yes, we got that some too. Brazilian steakhouse uh, yeah. meal last night. And then the other thing is, is that on our shows we do what are called picks. And since we're going to be doing several of these shows over the next, you know, few days, I haven't been having the host do the picks, but I have been having our guests do the picks. So what picks are are just things that you're kind of into at the moment. Uh, some people pick like TV shows or movies or music or books or something like that. And then other folks are like. My favorite code tool is this thing, or this framework or library really makes my life better. So what are kind of one or two things that you're into at the moment? Yeah, so my pick for today is the Tesla Model 3, because it raises, it's a car company from Silicon Valley that is able to raise the same level of excitement that Apple used to raise when they launch a product. So 
when that is published, you probably have seen all the videos how people line up for a Model 3 without even seeing it, putting down a thousand dollars to reserve a car that's not launching for another year and a half. And that's really like a new world that we're living in where ele an electric car can raise that level of excitement and that it excites me and I'm looking forward to see the presentation tonight. I was going to say the presentation's tonight, isn't it? Yeah, 8.30. 8.30, so... Yeah, it's so, like, it's so like, when this goes live, old news, but it's cool. It's like, it's like you know, when it's now almost 10 years ago that the iPhone was shown. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time that we had phones that would auto-update themselves, you know. We are no longer, like, uh, locked into an ecosystem. Well, you're kind of locked into the Apple ecosystem, but not like you went stuck on, a, on an OS version forever until your contract ended. And now Tesla is doing the same as cars, where the car updates itself, you know, every whatever other week they have a new feature, they just push software to the car, and that's like, and that's all an electric car, so it feels like the future, and it's very exciting to me. Well, and, and Apple, the, one of the things about the iPhone is it was, it was this idea that the device was almost nothing more than a screen, and yeah. so the device could be anything you wanted it to be through software, and uh, it's pretty cool to see Tesla, I mean, they, with the Teslas that are already out there, they've already rolled out features, you know, huge, huge new features yeah. that are just software features. You don't have to go buy a new car, you get, you know, some self-driving feature. That well, and for free, right? right? It's, yeah. it's new, new features for free, you know, you don't have to, you know, go to the dealer and get a new, new Navi DVD, for yeah. like 50 bucks, right? right? You just get new map data. Yeah. You just get the map data from your car. Uh, and, and they have built-in LTE and everything. So it's like, it's, it's just super cool and super exciting. And yeah. yeah, and you don't have to plug it into your Mac so you can uh, <laughs> do the iTunes sync <laughs> song and dance, yeah. right? But you're right. It's, it's, it's the same kind of, you know, as the iPhone, you just had a screen. And in your Tesla, you just have a screen, right? There's no more buttons except the steering wheel and the turn signal. Right. So it's, it's kind of like the same approach and the kind, kind of same of... It's a closed ecosystem, so you can't go at the source code. But it's kind of open because you as a customer are valued very high by getting updates, by getting you know, new features and stuff like that for free. It's exciting times. Yeah, tons of new stuff coming out. Yeah. All right, well, thank you, Thomas, for coming. Uh, we'll go ahead and wrap this up and uh, look forward to more interviews here at Build. Yeah, thanks for having me. And maybe one last word. Uh, it's awesome to talk to you guys. It's great that you're here. And one, one premise we always had in the Hawkeye team is that we love to talk to developers, love to see what they're doing. And so even there, now that we're at Microsoft, it's still my team, everybody in the engineering team doing all the customer support. And uh, we love just talking to, to the community. Yeah. If people do run into questions or anything, do they just go to hockeyapp.com or? Yeah, they can go to hockeyapp.com. They can do go to at hockeyapp.net, at hockeyapp on Twitter, okay. or support.hockeyapp.net. Yeah. And are you on Twitter or GitHub with the handle that people can follow? Uh, yeah, it's Ash Tom, like an acronym, uh, an, an anagram of Thomas. Um, okay. But otherwise, I, I'm also responding on hockeyapp. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Thomas. Yeah, thank you guys. Yeah, great. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.